Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. Congratulations. Hope your celebration will be meaningful today. And so glad that you're here. I uh, want to talk about men today, manhood in particular, and try to encourage, put courage in to all of the men in the room. And we're going to let the women eavesdrop on the service today. And we're glad that you're here, of course. And maybe you can encourage along the same lines that, that I will attempt to do so. Let me, uh, let me just say this. Men in America are in trouble. Boys in America are confused. There are every measurable indication socially, psychologically, emotionally, relationally. Boys are in trouble in our culture. And there are reasons for that. They are... They are complex and they are varied, and it's not my intention today to dig into the sociology and the humanities, but just to, just to identify that we, we have issues that need to be addressed. And I think one of the best ways to address the issues that trouble men in our culture today is to remind men of our God-given role and identity as men. And I want to attempt to do that and therefore encourage I've chosen an interesting text today from the prophet Isaiah. This was a period in Israel's history when they had turned their back on God. They decided they don't need God in his ways and his word anymore in their lives. And so the judgment of God was coming upon the nation. This was a recurring event in the centuries of the nation of Israel. And this was an occasion where Isaiah prophesied that the judgment of God, the consequences of turning their back on God would be, would be the removal of real men and the consequences of that. I think there are many parallels from this passage in our own culture today. So Isaiah chapter 3, I want to re read the first 12 verses. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, of course, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand as you're able to hear God's word. See now the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Israel and Judah both supply and support all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, and clever enchanter. So these are being removed as part of the judgment of God. Now the consequence, verse 4, I'll make mere youths their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other. Man against a man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, the nobody, the insignificant, against the honored. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, you have a cloak, you, you be our leader. Take charge of this mess. But in that day, he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. I'm not responsible for this. You're on your own. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, define His glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. But woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Youths oppress my people, women rule over them. My people, your guides lead you astray. They turn you from the path. And we got, 
enlighten us today, inspire us today, maybe sober us today, convict us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So many times the boys in our culture now shun the things that make them men. They ignore them. They no longer embrace them. They no longer feel honored by our culture, by our society. Boys and men no longer reach, reach high for their masculinity. We, we see, as a result, crisis. And so men begin to act like boys. And in the process, women are forced to do what men won't. And so we have a crisis of identity, we have a crisis of role, we have a crisis in culture. And let me just say a word to the women. Uh, your pastor has absolutely no concern about your God-given role and whatever ambition you may have in the context of culture. Uh, I think women should reach as high as God calls you to reach. And that's in government or in business or in the church or in education. Wherever you find yourself, uh, reach as high as you can. Go as far as you can uh, according to God's best plan for your life because I'm for you. I, th I think one of the great strengths of Western culture is that, is that we actually recognize the value that women bring <laughs> to all of these initiatives. And so I hope you'll be encouraged to reach your highest potential as well. In this case now we find the unique challenge of our own, of our own culture. Men become confused, and when they become confused, they are directionless. When they become directionless, they become troubled, and families are harmed, children are hurt. We have tens of millions of children now growing up in fatherless families across America. We have an entire generation now that is being described as a fatherless generation. This is, this is a serious issue and bordering on crisis. Very few people are talking about it. Lots of people, sociologists, the people who study the humanities, they, they know that these things are happening, but no one's really broaching the subject because it's not popular, it's not politically correct. You know, this is an age where, where, where the pathology and the ideology is to emasculate men and to diminish the role and value of men. It's insidious and at the expense of being perceived as hyperbolic, I think it's demonic, demonically inspired. You know, for millennia, men and women have been collaborating to make society work. And now suddenly there's a pathology in the Western cultures that say that men, the men, that men are the problem. Men are the cause of all the injustice and wrongs in the world. Come on, give us a break. We've been collaborating for, for thousands of years, and it's going to take both of us to keep the party going. That's a biological fact, and that's, that's a relational cultural fact. We all live under the shadow of two atoms. Think about this. The first Adam from the Garden of Eden, there with his wife Eve, and you know the story where they failed, they sinned. Original sin came into the human experience. And we get confused about Adam's role in the Garden of Eden and original sin. We somehow get the impression that Eve was the one who was seduced, she's the one who compromised, she's the one who sinned, and Adam joined her in it. 
But what we read in Genesis 3, verse 6, is this interesting account of where Adam is actually with a woman. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So he is with her there in the Garden of Eden. And it's, it's a very, very serious moment where Adam is perceived as passive. We get somehow the notion that Eve was being seduced by the enemy and Adam's off somewhere else. You know, he's being industrious, he's being productive, he's doing his work. But that's not the case. Adam's there, but he's disengaged. He's disenfranchised. He's, he's not on point. And so, and so now he, he finds himself at a moment where he's going along with. He's there, but he's passive. Interesting uh, comment from, from a Yale sociologist, Stephen Clark, who made this observation as he looked at humanity through time, and he said, and I quote, for whatever reason, men have a natural tendency to avoid social responsibility. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? And it's true. What we observe in the life of men is that men tend to become passive with regard to social things and spiritual things. Now, you put men with other men or you put men on the job and they're engaging, they're on point, they're, they're responsible, they're, they're competitive, they're energized. But you take the man out of those arenas and you put him in the relationships that are most important to a man with his wife, with his family, with his children, and the man suddenly becomes invisible. Like the movie, The Invisible Man, he gets home and he starts unwrapping himself and he just disappears in these social and spiritual dimensions. So as I mentioned, there are two Adams. The first was this Adam in the Garden of Eden, and the second Adam the Bible re re reveals is Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the other hand, just the opposite is Jesus, we find him always engaged, always on point, always energized, always adding value, always giving life to whatever relationship he's in. So he rejects the passivity that Adam embraced and that men typically experience. So if you're filling out your outline, here's the first point I want to say about what it means to be an authentic man. The first point is that a real man will reject passivity. Reject passivity so that a real man is actually engaging the people closest to them, most important to them, socially, relationally, and spiritually. If I had a dollar for every time a woman over the last 40 years has said to me, I wish my husband were more engaging. I wish he would take the lead spiritually in our family. I wish that he would do more to help direct our lives. And the natural tendency we have is to become passive. So we have to reject the passivity. Part of this passivity evidences itself now in our culture. Did you know the number one fear among junior high students in America is not terrorism? It's not the fear that another fellow student might shoot them in their own school, although that's up on the list. The highest fear of junior high students in America is that my father will leave my mother. Number one fear. Isn't that interesting? Millions of children now who have been abandoned by their fathers. Teenage crime is up 600% in the last 20 years in America. All of these school shootings are done by young men, young boys. Not a coincidence. This is an interesting, uh, interesting fact that nobody talks about. 
that in the last 25 years, scientists have discovered that the testosterone levels in boys and men, watch this now, has, has declined by 30%. Nobody knows why. Nobody has an explanation for it. You would think that someone would want to study this a little further because the effects of lowered testosterone at those levels is increased depression. One in five men now take some kind of mind-altering drug exponentially higher than any other culture in the world. People are experiencing depression. Men are dropping out. More boys drop out of high school. More men fail to finish college. Uh, men are are waiting longer to start a career. Men are waiting longer to get married. We find, we find that 35% of all males 18 to 38 years old in America, 34 years old in America, still live with their mother. This failure to launch, this, this, uh, this addictive uh, crisis, more men are likely to become alcoholic. Most of the men who are addicted to opioids are in this category. Uh, it is, it is, it's a crisis. Suicide rates among men and middle-aged men is off the chart, increased in the last 30 years dramatically. No one's stopping to say, what is going on? Why is this happening? What's wrong with the men in our culture? I've been taking a survey all weekend. I'll do it again here. If you're 40 years old, or let's just say 35 years old and older, how many of you know by name, a man that has committed suicide that you know. Raise your hand if you know that. All weekend long, this has been like 60% of this age group. Know someone in our age category who's taken their life. This is, this is a crisis, and we're, we are living in it. I'll say it again. As men go in a culture, so goes that society. As men go, so goes the society. You tell me the trends among men in a culture, and I'll predict the future of that culture. When men become irresponsible, what comes next in all of society becomes irresponsible. If men throw down their honor and their nobility and their God-given role as men in the culture, then, then confusion, chaos is the result in that society. So we must reject passivity and become more engaged socially and spiritually. And let me just go the, to the second point. It's on your outline. You want to write this down. That a real man will accept responsibility. Accept responsibility. Now, there's a word for you. There's a word that we don't use much anymore in our culture. Actually being responsible. Responsible for the stuff that's put right in front of you. Everyone say the word responsible. It'll be good for you. Responsible, yeah. Roy Smith, look at this statement. He makes, makes this comment. The ability to accept responsibility is always the measure of a man. Always the measure of a man. And so what we learn from Jesus is that a man has three primary responsibilities. The first responsibility is that there is a will to obey. A will to obey. Look at if, uh, John chapter 4, verse 34 Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus said, look, I'm here to do God's will. So I'm modeling for you what it looks like to be a responsible person, to do God's will. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember the night of his betrayal, the 
the day before the crucifixion. Here's Jesus. He's praying, God, if this cup can pass from me, but he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And so we see Jesus modeling and leading courageously and responsibly. The second thing that Jesus recognizes as his responsibility is that there is work to do. Not just a will to obey, but there is work to do. John 17, verse 4, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, men, you can hear this as vocation. You can hear this as career. I mean, it's right to, to have a job, get up and go to work, and it's good to do that. But there's more here to it than that. The implication here for a real man is that there's a transcendent cause that we live underneath, that we, uh, that we order our lives and lifestyles in such a way that we acknowledge that there's a greater work going on around us so that person that we work next to isn't just to, just to uh, befriend and to, and to make quota, but this is a person of eternal value and I have influence in their lives. This team that I lead or manage uh, is more than just getting the job done. There is also a higher, a higher work and purpose of God for these lives and individuals. So there is a work to do. So there's a will to obey, a work to do. This is called being responsible. And there's a third thing for every man, and that is there is a woman to love. A woman to love for a lifetime. Now, you may say, well, how does Jesus model that? Well, Jesus... Had a, had a bride called the church. That's you and me. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for his bride? He gave his life for his bride, for you and me. Ephesians 5, the apostle Paul said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved his bride, the church. Yeah, so we see it there. Let me ask you a question. Now, remember, the women are in the room. They're eavesdropping on the sermon. Women are in the room. If I were to ask you the question, men, is it easy to love a woman for a lifetime or is it hard? Since the women are in the room, I know what you would say. It's easy. Easy, easy peasy. Loving a woman for a lifetime, piece of cake. Especially my woman. Whoa. She is, she is everything. So, I, so we love her and it's really easy. If the women were not in the room... I could tell you, uh, ladies, I'm sorry to break this to you, how the men would respond to the question, is it easy to love your wife? And they would say, it is not easy. It's not easy. And of course it's not. It's not easy for you to love him, and it's not easy for him to love you. And that's the way it is. It's not meant to be easy. If someone told you it was easy, they didn't know what they were talking about. So it's not easy. It's actually difficult, but it is also very meaningful to love a woman for a lifetime and very satisfying to love a woman for a lifetime. And this is good and right. Uh, I grew up and came of age uh, in the period of time in our country when we were in the space race. And President Kennedy at the time gave a speech. This is almost 60 years ago. John F. Kennedy gave a speech and said, we are going to, in the next decade, send a man to the moon and return him safely to the earth. And in that speech, he used this line, and I quote, he said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Now, you know, there's, there's something in that, right? That's a challenge, isn't it? 
And men should like a challenge. And you could change out the word hard with a couple of other words. You could say, we're going not because it's easy, but because it's noble. We're going not because it's easy, but because it's honorable. We're going not because it's easy, because it's righteous. I'm going to love a woman for a lifetime, not because it's easy, because it's noble and honorable and righteous. It's the right thing to do. It's honorable to God and to the woman you love. It's, it's noble and honorable. And so a man will actually accept responsibility because there's a will to obey and there's a work to do and there's a woman to love. And that leads me to the third thing I want to say about a real man. An authentic man is a person who leads courageously. Courageously. Everyone say the word courage. Courage. It takes courage, right? Here's how Jesus, how Jesus summarized leading courageously. He used the same phrase. He used it over and over again. This is what he said. Watch it. Here it is. He said, follow me. Follow me. Now, how much courage does it take to say, follow me? You want to know how to say that? Just say it the way I do. You want to know how to respond to that? Just respond the way I do. You want to know how to manage that? Just manage it the way I do. How do you live, give, act, react? Just follow my example. Follow me. Now, how many of you know it takes some substance, some weight, some significance, some, some real character, some real mass in your personhood to be able to tell someone else to follow you, to follow your example? But isn't this the model that Jesus portrays for us and then calls all of us as men into, as leaders, to lead courageously? We lead by offering direction. This is what Jesus did. He said, this is the direction. This is the, this is the way. Follow me. We're going this direction. Follow. You know men. I know men. And if they walked up to me and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. First thing, we're going to go across the street. I wouldn't follow them across the street because there's no weight there. There's no substance in that person's life. There's no integrity. There's no character there. So why? You can't... You can't lead if you're a lightweight, if you have no conviction and no courage of your convictions. This is, this is what creates substance in a man's life when you live authentically, that you do what you say, that you live according to the principles that you believe. And this, this gives an integrated life, a person with integrity. And these are the folks who can lead then substantially and courageously. Jesus gave direction. He also gave protection to those around him. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. So physical protection and spiritual and emotional, relational protection, this is what a real man does by leading courageously with the people most precious to him. He protects. And the third thing he does is he provides. There's provision. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and have it so you can have it more abundantly. So there's physical, there's social, there's spiritual provision that God provides through Jesus. And so we see what it looks like to lead courageously. Look at the statement by Fred Smith. I like this very much. He said, you will be as small as your controlling desire or as great as your dominant aspiration. Small as your controlling desire, great as your dominant aspiration. You think about that. Mm -hmm. Here's Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, nothing can bring a man peace but the triumph of principles. The triumph of principles. Yeah. 
So it's about leading courageously. Here's the fourth thing I want to say. Write this down. That a real man, an authentic man, will expect a greater reward. Expect a greater reward. The first Adam, he was seeking a reward. He was hoping for a reward. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he actually believed he was going to get a reward. He expected it. He knew it was going to happen. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can't look at it, but here it is. It says, Let us run with perseverance, endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch this phrase now. Listen to it carefully. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, suffering the shame. Now, do you see the juxtaposition of those phrases? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now, how do those things go together? Because there's nothing joyful about the cross, suffering a torturous death. It's, that's not good. That's not joyful. So how does Jesus put together joy and suffering? He does it because he knows that if he can endure the season of suffering, that there's a reward on the other side. There's joy on the other side. You, you got you to gotta look past the next five minutes. You got to look past the next five months. You got to look past the season of suffering and crisis and see that beyond it, if we endure, there is reward. And a real man, an authentic man, will reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect a reward on the other side. And there is that reward. Think about King David. This is what he said, Psalm 27. He said, I would have despaired of life. Now think about this. This is David, flaws and all, challenges and all, opportunities and all. He said, I would have given up. I would have despaired of life if I did not believe I would see the goodness of the Lord in this life. So he said, I would have given up. I'd have cashed it in. I'd have just given up hope, let my life implode, if I didn't believe that God was going to reward me, even in this life. Listen to Moses' story. In Hebrews 11, he's referred to in the, this hall of fame of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And because he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So here's Moses. He, choose, he could have chose life in the palace with all of, the, all of the benefits, but he chose a different lifestyle because he believed that there was a greater reward if he chose to follow Christ instead. And so we see these models. We see it from Moses. We see it from David. We see it from Jesus himself who endured the cross, the, suffered the shame for the joy that was set before him. And so now we have, we have models to follow because all of us know that sometimes life gets so difficult, so challenging, so pressurized that the temptation, listen, the temptation is to give up. The temptation is to fold up, to compromise, 
to give in to temptation, to give in to sin, to walk away from God's best design and choose some other course. And we all know that that temptation is real. Someone asked me this morning how long I've been pastoring this church. <laughs> I, who can remember? <laughs> but it was, it was uh, this time of year in 1981 that Beth and I first uh, came to, the, to pastor this church. That's 1981 for you young people. 1881 would have been just after the Civil War. It was 1981, just to give you some context. 1981. So it's been 37 years, and we're beginning our 38th year. Now, I, was, I wasn't really expecting that. I was just, I was just uh, trying to absorb it myself. Um, have you ever been tempted to give up? Some of you are in that level of testing right now. In these 38 years, I have never talked about these two occasions in my life. Once was when I was at the university. I was in my sophomore year, and life was not going well. I was in a bit of a crisis. So much as crisis as a college student can have, short of some devastation devastating loss. I, I was in personal crisis. I was in spiritual crisis. I was in academic crisis. I was in athletic crisis, suffered an injury, set everything back. And I was just ready to go home because, see, I'm just a hometown kid. I grew up in a small town with a thousand people. Nobody in my family, heck, nobody I knew went to college. We just grew up, finished high school and went to work. That's what my family did. And we went to work, we got married, we raised a family, we went to work, we worked hard, we paid our bills, we took care of our business. And this is, these are the values that I received from my home culture, my family of origin. And these are good values. I mean, it's, it's great. And I just thought to myself, look, I, I don't belong here anyway. I'm out of place. I'm a fish out of water. I, these expectations are too high. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I can measure up. And, and it would just be easy. I just leave this and go back home and there's a job waiting for me there and I can blend in and everybody knows me and it's comfortable there and safe there and predictable there. So I just give up and go home. I got really close to just giving up. So I had to revisit God's will for my life. God, what do you want me to do? And and I opened the scripture one day and I, my Bible literally fell open to Luke chapter 19 and I read and my eyes fell on this verse. And at all times it said, you ought to pray and not to lose heart. And I thought, that's me. I'm losing heart. I'm, I'm despairing of my circumstances. I just need to give up. Go home. But I heard the word of God to pray. And so I just, I leaned into prayer and I sought God and asked for his help. And I endured for that season. I hung in there until I popped through the other side and found my way. There was a second time I was tempted to give up. It was just a handful of years ago. 
And I was, I was in personal crisis. I was in a health crisis. It was a professional crisis. It was a perfect storm trying to dissuade me from going further. And you should know that I was as close to quitting as you can get. I couldn't have been closer. If someone had just gone up to me and, and gone like this, I would have toppled over. That was it. I was done. And I rehearsed, I rehearsed in my imagination, my fantasy, what it would be like just to resign, just to quit, just get, get away. And it felt so good <laughs> to think about that. It'd be so easy. It'd be such a release. So much better. But I remembered from the time when I was 19, and I remembered that God has a plan and God has a will, and I need to consult God's plan, God's will for my life, and I, and I need to trust the truth of His Word. And so I opened the Bible again, and I, and I would read the Bible and just look for some hope and some promise, some strength. And one day I was reading along. I was at really a lowest point, really despairing of the whole thing. And I found this interesting sequence where the king of Israel is about to be completely overrun by superior forces of the enemy. I mean, it was like four to one. And they, I mean, they were in trouble. The, the, the Syrians were on the horizon. They're going to they're gonna, level the place and kill everybody. And this is what this is what God told the leader to do. He said, I just uh, need you to take your position. And I need you just to stand there. And watch what I will do. And there was there was some promise for me. Oh, you mean I don't have to do anything? No. You mean I don't have to be brave? No. Don't have to push forward, no. Don't have to produce anything, no. All I got to do is stand, just stand there. God said, yeah, just stand right there. And watch, what I, watch, watch my hand. <laughs> that was really helpful. And I'm helping someone right now. Because you may be right on the edge yourself. And you think, I just don't think I can, I can go forward one more day. Well, how, you don't have to go anywhere. Just take, Just stand. Just stand there. You asked me today, how did I make it through that season? How did I, how did I survive it? How did, how did I make it? And I can say the grace of God and the promises of God, which are true, they're reliable, they're trustworthy. You can stand on the promises of God. And, and Paul said it this way, having done everything to stand, you know, putting on the full armor of God, having done everything to stand, stand therefore. And so that's, that's the promise I received. And so I just, I just took my stand. So I can do that. If, I don't have, if you don't expect anything from me, because I don't, I don't have anything left. If you don't expect anything from me, I can, I can stand there. All right, we'll just stand there. And that's what I did. And I also had the support of my loving wife. Support of my loving wife. And I wouldn't be standing here before you today if it weren't for my wife, Beth. I know. She encouraged me. She, she held me up. She, she, she was strong when I was weak. 
and she helped me. Now, she's not here today. Uh, she's in Texas uh, with family. She's partying with her first cousins down in Texas. She has a first cousin who owns half of Texas, uh, and, and she's at the, his ranch. Guess what his first name is? You want to, this, is off, this is off point. His first name is King, K-I-N-G. That's his given name, King Freeland. Yeah, he owns half of Texas. Anyway, she's down there partying with King and the, and the, and the cousins. It's okay. I can make it by a weekend. So she was there. God bless her. And she helped me. And I had other family and other friends who stood beside me. And these are the ways, that, these are the things you need, the resources that we all need to make it through. And you can make it. But here's the promise. Here's what a real man does. A real man knows that if he'll endure through those circumstances of life, that there's a reward at the end. There is a reward promised. Not just in heaven, but a reward in this life. David said it this way, I, I would have despaired in life if I didn't think I'd see the blessing of God, the goodness of God in the land of the living. He said, I knew there was a reward coming. You know, so here I am. I'm, uh, I'm 40 years married to the same woman. And here's something true about my wife. She admires me. I don't know why she does. It's some, mostly confusing to me why she would. But she admires me. She says she admires me, and she behaves like she admires me. And you know what I call that? I call that a reward. That's good. That's a good thing. And we raised two boys. Now, look, I know raising children, children that's a crapshoot. That's a, that's a minefield. That's a, who knows how this is going to turn out. I get it. We have two boys, though. They love God. They married women who love God. They're raising children that love God. They're responsible. They're leaders in their churches. They, they, they're making a difference. Their lives matter. They're substantial men. You know what I call that? That's a reward. That's a reward. What, what, what would you pay for that? That's a big deal, isn't it? There's value there. That's a reward. And look what I get to do. Look what I get to, I get to pastor a great church. I get to pastor wonderful people like you. I mean, think about this. All the adventures we've been on together over the years, and we just keep making up more. You're willing to follow crazy leadership sometimes. And, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm actually wired up so I can see the future better than I can see the past. I can't remember yet what I did yesterday, but I can see 10 years from now just as clearly. And so, so I tend to take us in directions forward. And, and what a great, exciting adventure it is for us to do this together. How much fun is it? Pastor Jeff said 450 children, youth, and adults are going to be in all over the community this next week doing serve. And over the next couple of months, I'll get letter after letter after letter from individuals and agencies and businesses, neighborhood associations saying, thank you for sending that team of people uh, to our campus that, that week of serve. It made a huge difference. I can't believe all the work they got done. People will just be bragging, 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 thankful. It'll be amazing. In about a month, we're having this church planting summit. There'll be people from all over the world coming to this, all over the country, all over the world. It'll be a world-class event. And listen to me. 
Lives are going to be changed. It matters. The stuff we're doing right now is incredible. It's amazing what God is doing. Very exciting. And look, we get to do this. I, I call that a reward. You know, last, last week we introduced our Kazakh team. You know, we prayed for them, commissioned them, and they'll be going off in a few weeks back to Kazakhstan. And I said to you last week, I, I had my hands like this. I said, you know, we didn't plan this, so we don't have $1 budgeted for these Kazakhstan initiatives. And it's just out of the blue. And here it is. God's opened this door. We weren't ready for it. But you remember the context of my comments were out of Mark 16 when I said, the provision of God, the miraculous provision of God always follows the preaching of the gospel. So we can be confident that God's provision will catch up with us. We'll have it when we need it. It'll be there when we get there. And some of you looked at me like, yeah, there he goes again. Wonder if that's going to work. Well, listen, let me just give you some follow-up. By Monday evening, Sunday's when I told you we had no money, not one dollar for Kazakhstan. By Monday evening, listen to me, we had $150,000 designated for Kazakhstan. That's about half of what we need, so keep going, keep going. But that's a reward, isn't it? Wouldn't you classify that as a reward? What are you going through right now? What are you going through? Are you despairing? Do you wobble as a person? Do you wonder if you can make it? And specifically, if you're a man in the room today, how do you measure up to the definition I've offered today? A man who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, because there's a will to obey and work to do and a woman to love and leads courageously by directing and protecting and providing. And a man who expects a reward, a greater reward. And one of these days, I'm going to meet Jesus face to face and we're going to sit down and chat. That's a reward. That's a reward. And this is the invitation that God gives us all to follow Him, trusting in His truth, relying on His promises, trusting in His grace. Well, in this Father's Day, could we just pause and surrender our lives afresh and anew to Christ and ask for Him and His grace to meet each one of us at the point of our needs? Some of you are right on the edge, ready to give up. Others of you are strong and vital at this stage of your life, this season of your life, and all of us are in between. Let's ask for God's touch, His special favor, His grace to meet us so that we can lead as men and women authentic in our commission to follow Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word today, Lord. We thank You for the goodness and the grace and the mercies that you extend to us. Lord, we think about King David who, dis who would have despaired except he knew you were with him. A man who had failed, utterly failed, and in some ways had given up in his life, turned away from his virtue, given in to temptation, and yet you raised him up again. 
Lord, I pray for that person in the room today who's lost hope, that you would fill them with hope. I pray for, pray for that man in the room today who wobbles in his manhood, uncertain of who he is. Lord, remind him of who he is. He's a man who can reject passivity and accept responsibility and lead courageously and live in such a way that the rewards will follow. Lord, help this be a crossroads moment for that man in the room right now. Because today I've decided to follow God's best plan for my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. And in all these ways, God, extend your grace to each one of us. Help us. We need your help. Thank you for your goodness and grace, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, would you stand with us?